HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit rothcheese.com. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Eliza Christian. Kristen. <laughs> we'll talk to Eliza about Lilia, Missy. Is it Missy or Measy? Missy. Missy. Uh, the pandemic. And of course, we'll get into some wine. We'll taste a vino bianco from Cortona for a what weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Born in Taipei, Taiwan, Eliza Kristen and family made their way to the United States. Eliza attended the University of Illinois and found her love for hospitality and wine in culinary mecca, Champaign-Urbana. <laughs> um, she traveled the world to work harvests in Italy, Australia, and Oregon, and is studying for her wine certifications. We'll see if she still is. Eliza worked at the Meadowood Resort out in Napa, Momofuku Co., before meeting Sean Feeney of Grove House. Eliza Kristen is now the beverage director of Chef Missy Robbins and Sean Feeney's Lilia and Missy in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Welcome to the Great Nation. Thank you for Eliza. having me, Sam. So a couple of cool things. We're back in the Heritage Radio Network studios for the first time in easily over a year and a half. So that's fun. That's the first thing. The second thing is you're my first guest. Wow. Back in the studio. So it's nice to have you here. It's an honor. And I'll remember coming back the day, but I'll also remember that it was you or more importantly that it was you. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll be back in the studio, you know, a lot more. So... That's kind of fun. All right, so let's get right into it because you and I have a lot to talk about. We probably won't even cover it all. Um, in doing some research and, you know, talking to people about you and all that, you have a, a great story. 
So like all my other guests, to give them a little context, give me some background about your journey in life and wine that got you, you know, to where you are today, which is, you know, running the beverage program at arguably, you know, two of the more renowned restaurants in New York and the country. Sure. Um, so growing up in Taipei, um, we, my family went out to eat a lot and we were always in restaurants and that was kind of the extent of my childhood restaurant connection. I didn't work in my, you know, parents' right. family restaurant or anything like that. Um, I just was a frequent patron growing up. Um, my parents to this day are still very passionate about eating out. Um, they're actually going to be in New York soon and I can't wait to take them to a whole list of restaurants. Um, and then I, uh, Wait, can, yeah, go right ahead. One of my biggest knocks as I interrupt my guests, <laughs> but they're coming here and you want to take them to, but what's like, I should ask you this, but what's the one place you want to, or have to bring them to? Uh, they love the four horsemen. Okay. Um, yeah. That's uh, a cool answer. Yeah. All right. So leave it at that. Cause <laughs> sure. we'll get to another. All right. So. Continue. Yes. If, if you remember where we were. For sure. Um, so, yeah. So, I was in college at uh, the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. Um, I went into college a little lost and confused about where I wanted to end up in life. And, and you know, some kids have the the fortune and the foresight to really know where they want to be and where, the, where what direction they want to go in. And I was not one of those kids. Um, so during college, I went to college for uh, psychology and ended up also adding on art history because I took a class and fell in love with it. Um, you'll notice a pattern here. Uh, but uh, during college, I started to work at um, uh, several local restaurants in Champaign um, and really kind of fell in love with with restaurant life. Was uh, that initially more about I need a job? Or was there any thought like this could be a cool thing to do or a little of both? Um, it was, I need a job and I, you know, it was to occupy my time a little bit and it was to, to maybe force some kind of direction, um, just to put myself on a path in one way or another. Um, I was nearing graduation. I think it was my junior year of college and I, was no clearer about where I wanted to be. Oh, and, and so I really, um, I really dove into the restaurant thing because I loved it. Uh, and I was really lucky to find that, that, that path and kind of stumble upon it. And so you got engaged by the industry. I did. I mean, you didn't mind doing it, the hospitality no. thing. Mm -mm. So you work in a few cool places yeah. in, in Champaign Urbana, right? So mm -hmm. what happens? Take me further along. Uh, so while I was there, I, while I was working at a restaurant named Bacro, um, that is, uh, no longer there, but was, was that fine dining for Champaign-Urbana? It, it was fine dining period. Okay. Um, in, in a similar way that like Lillian Missy is, you know, there are service standards, it's comfortable, it's, right. it's, you, there's no dress code. It's not, it's not per se or, no, you know, no. but the, everything else is right there. Yeah. But there's, you know, thought that goes into into every single part of a guest meal. And I, right. that to me is headed towards fine dining. And you you noticed and recognized yeah. that they had that attention. Yeah, the attention to detail was one of the first things that kind of blew me away about the restaurant. Um, and the wine program was 
incredible. Um, the chef owner was also the into wine and he was the one who bought the wine for the restaurant um, and was so generous with sharing it and getting all the staff excited about it front and back of house. Um, and it, that's what ultimately set me on my wine path. So that guy was an important guy. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. He had the right plate, good wine program, good food, good mm-hmm. attention. All right. So do you eventually graduate and leave town? Um, I never graduated. You don't I, have a college degree? I did not. Okay, we're yeah. going to have to end, end the interview. Oh, no, I'll I see you later. <laughs> no. All right, so you don't finish. Yeah. You just decide it's a waste of time to be in college? Um, yeah, I was I was in my senior year. I had finished all of the accreditation for uh, both psychology and art history, and I was left looking at the um, course book and being like, what do I do for the last semester? Take ice skating? Like, I didn't really, I didn't really know what to, like, I just had credits that I needed to fill to graduate. And at that point I was like, I'm really loving the, the restaurant industry. And so it's, you just bailed. Yeah. All right. Yeah. My parents are still a little, uh, not pleased with me about it, but ah, they've. <laughs> so you hang out in Illinois a little? I do. Um, and How actually, long and then where do you go? Actually working at the restaurant okay. um, allowed me, they were incredible and flexible with their time and allowed me to work my first couple harvests. And I would, I was doing them back to back. So I was going Northern Hemisphere and Italy. Um, and then four or five months later, I was in Australia working another harvest. So, and I was allowed to leave for, you know, a month, month and a half, two months at a time. What's the name of the place? Baccaro? Baccaro, B-A-C-A-R-O. And yeah. these guys got you involved in the harvest and let you go? Yeah. The, the, that's amazing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so it, it, you know, it, that's, I started studying wine before I went to harvest and I realized that I needed some context, um, which, you know, there's not a lot of wine context in Champaign, Illinois, but really anywhere if, without, without being on the ground and being in the vineyard and talking to the winemakers, which we, you know, being in New York, you have much more access to, right. um, but right. you don't in the middle of the country. And, um, so I, I took it upon myself and went on a big trip on my own. So when do you decide and how do you get out of there and where do you go? Uh, so I, my very first harvest, um, was, uh, at Tenuta de Valjano, um, which is a winery outside of Luca in Tuscany. Um, and we served the wines at the restaurant and I loved the wines. Everyone was super excited about the wines. Um, and I had met the, uh, one of the owners when they came and did a tasting in Chicago and they, because the restaurant was such a big supporter of theirs. They would come down to Champaign, Illinois from Chicago. Right. Um, and we would nice. do a dinner for them and all that. So I, you know, was put in touch with him and, and we sorted everything out and I went. Wow. Yeah. All mm-hmm. right. So then keep going. Uh, and then, you know, I, that very first trip was a two month long trip. i stayed well after harvest uh, and almost didn't, come back. <laughs> you were, it was kind of cool. Totally right? enamored with um, that lifestyle and um, yeah, and Italy, period. All right. So you do yeah. come back. Where do you come to? Um, I come back. I'm working at the restaurant again. Okay. Um, like get me out of the Midwest already, will you? I know. Um, well, so then I go to Australia and that's a whole other Another harvest, a whole other harvest um, doing all that. Um, and then my uh, partner at the time moved to New York to take a job, and that's what kind of brought me here. 
um, a couple months after he came here. And, okay. uh, and then I landed in New York on uh, Second Avenue and Second Street. What, what year was that? Um, I'm, you have the facts in front of you. Ballpark. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, 2017, 16? or 17? 17, something okay. like that. Yeah. So where do you work in New York? Uh, so I, again, landed in an apartment in the East Village on 2nd Ave and 2nd, um, I like that neighborhood. Street. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty in place. Funky. Yeah, it was an intense place to land. Um, and on, Ko, Moafuku Ko was around the corner and I looked, oh, so you, looked them up and I thought that they so were that awesome. So that wasn't like a connection or no, a reco. That was no. a proximity, like let exactly. me give it a shot. It was a cold call. That's yeah, great. So yeah. do you go in just as a server or? How? Yeah. I mean, I, I went in, at that point I had taken a couple of the exams and I, I told them that I was on this path and I wanted to continue to work with wine. Um, they rightfully so were like, mm, we're not quite sure about your experience and we need you to um, kind of work through the positions of the restaurant first and, and understand the restaurant and understand New York. Thing. Absolutely. Um, it was so Who, valuable. Was anybody there then that's around now? At, uh, at uh, the, GM, the GM is still there. Yeah. Uh, Sue Wong Ruiz. Um, she Any is, of the wine people? Uh, so when I started, um, Jordan was there. Okay. Um, Jordan Salcito. Right. Um, Chase Sensor was also mm-hmm. there. Um, Those yeah. guys are still around. Yeah, absolutely. So how long do you spend at Momofuku? So you do go through the, I do the whole deal. From, yeah, you know, wine yeah. service. You know, classic. How, how, how much time do you spend there? Um, well, I was you know the classic impatient kid and was like, you you promised I could work at the sommelier. When is this going to happen? And you know, was really pushing hard for it. Um, and I finally got there, uh, a couple months, I don't know, I'm sorry, Sue, I don't remember, uh, five, six months into it. Wow, that's pretty um, quick. and then I ended up staying for, um, a year and a half, um, almost two. So was that the, you, you became a sommelier or they made you a sommelier. Mm-hmm, yeah. So that was your first really wine centric job. I yes. Mean, now yeah. I'm just dealing with wine. And all for that. sure. Okay. So you do that for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. What happens? get antsy, you got to grow, an offer comes up? Um, it was a fantastic learning experience in, in so many ways, um, professionally, but also personal for me. Um, and I had kind of, I wanted to work harvest again. I wanted to get back on the ground and, and you know, it's kind of a shock to go, of course, from Champaign, Illinois to New York and especially a restaurant like Co, which, you know, people are spending big bucks there and they're buying buying kind of once-in-a-lifetime wines on a nightly basis. Um, And I felt like I was, I didn't want to go down the road where I was like feeling like I was kind of wheeling and dealing a little bit and feeling like I was um, selling merchandise. That vibe. You know, I, I mean, it was kind of a cool place, but when you so analyzed cool. what was going on, yeah. you were almost there, but that wasn't exactly it. Um, I felt like I was losing the connection to, to, you know, the reason why I fell in love with wine right. in the first place. And, and uh, again, I, I was tasting incredible things on a nightly basis. People, you know, stuff that people don't get to taste. In New York, especially. In New York, right? especially. Yeah. And I wouldn't take that back for a second, but I felt like I needed to do more, see more. Um, and I had planned a whole like several month 
Euro trip pretty much, starting with another harvest in, in Italy with my friends at Belgiano again. Um, and then working my way down. So I, I started in Copenhagen after that and traveled and, wow. and really bounced around for three, four months. Right. Yeah. So just so I get it right, you leave yeah. Momofuku to go to Europe mm -hmm. to work. Yeah. You spend the time there and then you come back. Um, yeah. So I came back. I didn't, wasn't sure that I wanted to come back to New York. Right. Because you didn't. You didn't land in it. So what happened? Well, so I, we, my partner and I decided that we wanted to give California a go. Um, I felt like. For wine reasons for, or for, for wine, California reasons? Wine reasons for me. Okay. And he, my partner's a chef and it was food for him. Okay. Um, just the, the produce that you have at right. your disposal there is incredible. It's cool um, good mixture exactly there's um, good produce in iowa but not great wine <laughs> yeah, so it makes sense yeah. for sure um and i felt like i wanted to deep dive in californian wine a little bit so i we ended up in napa um and that's when meadowood happened for me how does the meadowood thing come up because that's top of the game for that area it was another another cold call <laughs> and, it was uh, yeah and i god yeah, and I, uh, I maybe I interview well. I don't know. Maybe I. No, no. I was just gonna say <laughs> it's obviously more than you know your credentials. Yeah. You obviously, you know, captivate people. Yeah. So you're out there. You're doing Meadowood. Who was the chef there? Was that Costa? Chris Costa. Um, it's still right? Chris Costa. Yeah. yeah. Place burnt down, right? Yeah. They, um, they've been doing pop ups, but I think they're and they're, they're rebuilding. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, so you had a great. You were in a great place with a great wine program with, yeah. you know, one of the terrific chefs. Yeah. So you stay there how long? Um, so I stay there, um, I think we landed in right, I can't, February. Um, and then come May, uh, my partner was having some, you know, he was still very, He we met at Momofuku Co. And he st was still very connected to, to Momofuku in general. Um, and an opportunity came up for him so to bring him back. To bring him back. And serendipitously, we were just talking about what we were going to do and have a cross-country, long-distance relationship. We weren't sure what was going to happen. And Sean Feeney reached out um, out of the complete blue and sent me an email. How do you think Sean got your name? Uh, so um, when I was at Co, he came in. Okay. So uh, you made a... Yeah, I think I read that. Yeah, and, a friend he, of his who I, you know, would see on a semi-regular so basis. So again, you lit him up. Yeah. <laughs> right? So he reaches out. Yeah. So that's, you're in New York, not that long. Mm -hmm. in, in California, not that long. Yeah. You, well, California, you didn't even do a year. Yeah, not no. Not even three quarters of no. a year. Mm -mm. You come back, um, you bump into Sean, he offers you a job. Uh, he reached out to me when I was still in Napa. Oh, he did? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. And this, he was like, we're about to I open. I told you this was a good story. Um... <laughs> We're about to open a second restaurant. Um, we would love you to be the beverage director of both Lilia and Missy. Who was doing it? Like who launched it and who was there before? Doing doing Lilia, the yeah, beverage program. Beverage. Uh, David Sawyer was okay. the um, the wine director before me okay. um, at Lilia. And um, and they were about to open Missy. And they reached out to me and I, I took See, over. See, that yeah. hiring you is zero risk. <laughs> but it still seems like, you know... 
you know, who's Eliza? I mean, she's got yeah. great credentials and she's great, but I, I ask mean, myself it, that all the time. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, it was a stellar, you know, move and all that. And yeah. It, you know, it bared itself out. Yeah. All right. So you get to Mizzy Lilia. They bring you in, hitting the ground running, running mm-hmm. the program. You don't have to claw your way up to anything there. No. Um, so you got a bunch of Psalms working for you in each place. Uh, not immediately. No. Um, Lilia never had Psalms, um, because it was just one restaurant. Right. I believe David was there all the time. Right. Um, and I, I joined the team in May, uh, and then they were planning on opening Missy in, uh, August, September. So I had the summer to kind of, you know, familiarize myself with the people, the culture, and really get in there at Lilia. Um, and it, became obvious very quickly that if I were to spend my time between two restaurants, I would need help and I would need support. And that's where you got mm-hmm. the help. Exactly. Um, did you have the heavy hand and we'll talk about it specifically a little later yeah. in developing and designing the Missy, um, wine list. Yeah. It's yeah, you, yeah, yeah. right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's your list. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to talk about that in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're current. Took a little bit to get there, but I think Sorry. it was worth No, no, no. <laughs> Long I'm not saying that. No, no, that was me. I wanted to get every detail right. Yeah. All right. I want to talk about something that's, you know, almost hard to avoid mm-hmm. um, for what I'm doing and certainly for what you're doing. Um, you know, I think you've been at Lily and Missy, God, three years, over three years or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and I think you and I would agree that the first wave of COVID was fairly devastating. Yeah. And we're still living in it, but not at the point where everything is, you know, shut down. Yeah. Um, All of this that I ask you, I want your take and opinion on it. Um, Are we out of the woods in your mind? Are we worried about these new variants? Um, Is there still a cloud, you know, over the industry? I mean, there's I don't think there's a reason to breathe any sigh of relief. But tell me where, you know, you're at. I mean, I'm by no means an expert. Um, no, what, I'm not asking you to be. I'm, yeah. You know, tell me what you think and feel. We, I think that is something that I have definitely learned in this last year is a sense of humility and kind of a drop in the ocean <laughs> type mentality of of taking what comes and just doing the best that we can to react to it. And it's hard to say what's right around the corner. Um, but, you know, we in the last year spent a lot of time checking in with staff and reopening was really difficult. Um, just, you know, a, because of all the new procedures we had to put in place, build and then put in place, but also because everyone had such a hard year and it, you know, staff and ourselves. And it really was, um, you know, a new part of my job came forward and, and you had to play that sort of, for sure. Part of, you know, what was going on in the restaurant. Yeah. Um, but offering the support to, to you know, our employees and to the management team and to the owners and to each other and really being there for each other. And yeah. everybody got through it. I mean, a yeah. lot of restaurants didn't make it. Yeah. Or made yeah. it in a different form. Yep. You know, fortunately, you guys are run by smart people. Yeah. I wouldn't say deep pockets, but it was successful going into it. Some people were, you know, struggling, yeah. but that, that, that's not what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. Um, so when you look forward, what are you feeling? I mean, are we still in a very tentative situation or yeah. what's, I mean, I think that's what, that's what 
all restaurants are, are kind of balancing is the there was financial support over the last year um, from, you know, the government, but it's still, there's kind of a, a oh God, like this is our moment to, to be open and do all the business yeah. we can. And like balancing that with, with the emotional easing into it that yeah. everyone has to do. And it's just, it's ongoing. You yeah. know, when you talk about the emotional part, yeah. you know, you're talking about people yeah. and I think the pandemic illuminated a lot of inequities in the industry. Um, I mean, I've done a year's worth of shows, not successively or every show, but about what was going on at the times. I mean, there was inequities with salary, mm -hmm. work conditions, it's definitely discrimination, yeah. sexual harassment, yeah. you, you know, rose to the top. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that like pre-pandemic, it was obviously going on and the industry was not good at addressing it? Like it sort of pushed it aside? Um, I think there was a lot of, you know, in the same way that I was charmed by the restaurant industry when I first started out. There's a lot of, you know, it's it's the the avenue through which people go out and enjoy themselves as guests and as people on the other side of that serving them. Um, you know, there's a lot of kind of bright lights and flashy things that you can totally get sucked into that, you know, seem much more important. And I think that all of that being stripped away in the last year yeah, um, doesn't leave much makeup for, you know, and cover up for all of these other things that, yeah. that have been there all along. Yeah, I think yeah. the fact that they've come to light and some of them are being addressed is nice, but... Not that I don't have faith, but I think it's going to take time. Yeah. You know, and hopefully everybody, you know, realizes, you know, we live in a different world. Yeah. Um, you know, when you say uh, it's like you're in the business because you get juice to get in there and you know, like the action. And, you know, most people, when they go to a place like Lily, it's like, you know, they're geared up for like, this is one of the best meals I'm going to have. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm curious, has the customer been behaving? I mean, do they... Yeah, I, I mean, mean, New York's a pretty buy-in place. Like, here's what we yes. have to do. But yeah. you see stories with airlines, people fighting. I mean, yeah. oh are people, God. like, defiant about masks or rude to, I, I mean. Um, it was definitely, I think for the most part, last summer, It, I'm just, I'm remembering the first month that we were open in July. It was awkward, um, frankly. And it was awkward for staff. It was awkward for guests. And I think there was a little bit of camaraderie in the awkwardness. It was um, more not knowing. Yeah. And than just people being, you know, yeah, and not nice. People kind of giving each other the benefit of the doubt because nobody knew anything at the right. time, you know. Right. Um, and as as city rules and, you know, people are, you know, respond to <laughs> rules coming from up top in a different way. And, yeah. and uh, some people dig in their heels and yeah, that's yeah. so. That's it's good to hear because, yeah. you know, I've read articles and heard stories. And, yeah, you know, just customers just have no regard or respect, you know, for the other side to some extent. I mean, if if we learn anything this year, it's it's to have a little bit of empathy for, you know, your neighbor and yeah. whoever you're speaking to, yeah. and and you it know, it should have been done, and it's not hard to do it. Yeah. So if you have to pivot now, it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, so with all that being said, what type of like reboot in your mind are we going to see? 
like what you're doing today is you're open. Mm -hmm. You got the outdoor space, the indoor space. I don't know how people take to the indoor space, but I'm sure some people eat inside. Yeah. Um, do you think by the end of the year, next year, I mean, are we living through more of the same or do you see a reboot with, you know, substantial changes or you just want to get back to the good of where you were? You were talking about like an industry-wide reboot or? Yeah, and yeah. you could look in the context or lens of the restaurant or, the yeah. industry, you know, both. Yeah. I mean, I, for me, uh, my the way that I came out of um, quarantine as, you know, as forward looking as I could be was to focus on the things that I could control. Um, and that is, you know, in the immediate restaurant and the livelihood and the well-being of the people who are in that space. Um, and that's what I really can focus on in terms of. So this isn't a setup or a trap question. Yeah. But, you know, just sitting here with you and getting a sense, that's the way you are. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you sort of handled the business that way anyway, a little mm -hmm. more empathetic, compassionate towards workers, team, you right. know, all that. Do you feel that that's even heightened a little? Like, you know, we went through some tough times. So oh, yeah. Let's make, yeah. Absolutely. So the yeah. good of that is at least the environment. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a better feel and all of that. Yes. Um, which is a nice thing. And I think, um, I think a lot of people you know, would say that, which, you know, is a good thing. Yeah. Um, to the big negatives, there's always some good positives. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people will tell you during COVID, everything shut down, but they spent crazy times with their families. Right. Their kids, you know, so that's a good thing. Worked out. Took yeah. Care of you know, yeah. the restaurant thing, you got to make work out. Yeah. All right. We're talking to Eliza Kristen. Eliza is the beverage director at Lilia and Missy. Missy keep saying it wrong, um, in Williamsburg, um, two spectacular restaurants. Um, when we come back, I want to talk to Eliza about some wines, and then I want to talk to you about um, the uh, wine programs sure. over there and, yeah. you know, your thoughts and how you put it together. Um, you're listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. Roth has made specialty cheese in the rolling hills of Wisconsin for more than 30 years. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning Alpine-style Grand Cru cheeses. Fresh Wisconsin milk, combined with expertise in affinage, is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders, Roth Grand Cru Sir Schwa was named World Champion at the World Cheese Championship. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Eliza, Eliza Kristen. Eliza is the beverage director at Lilia and Missy. Um, two Italian skewing yeah. restaurants. Yeah. Um, in that sense. So before we get into the restaurant specifically, hopefully, because as tough as your industry is, 
there's always the fun part that people think that's the only part <laughs> and that's tasting wines mm-hmm. and traveling and, you know, even going on like, we'll talk about this towards the end of the show, but you're not on Instagram, but if you <laughs> look at Instagram and you look at people in the industry, they're all over the world, Oh yeah, you know, at wine oh, yeah. things, you know, so the travel part, that's a fun part. Mm-hmm. Um, has timing allowed you to get back to, you know, a little more of the fun things you did? Yeah. You know, to be a wine person and make wines available at the restaurant? Yeah. Um, I, you know, the tasting appointments that I had last summer and last fall, I'm surprised that I even had them. We had them outside and as safe as we could and people kept their masks on whenever we Was could. Was summer when you first started we, rebooting that? Yeah, we reopened Lilia um, just outdoor, obviously, right. in July of last year. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's it was so interesting hearing the kind of distribution side of what was going on in the wine business and how they were affected. And and there were all of these wines that, you know, usually got snapped up by all these restaurants that unfortunately, like, were not open yet or, you know, lost the allocation or all these things. And it was... The dynamic change? Yeah. Yeah. It was like a flood of things that were available last summer and last fall. Were you able to take advantage of that? Um, I mean, I you know, buy responsibly and we don't, right. we weren't in a position to throw Did you down. have to liquidate anything? I mean, did no. you guys sell, you know, you we, heard restaurants brought the yeah. seller up to retail yeah. or like Del Posto sold everything, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. You were able to hang in there. The type of wine lists at both restaurants um, means that the inventory was very small that we okay. were sitting on. Yeah. All right. Um so you're getting back to a little more normalcy mm-hmm. with, you know, how you do the wine thing. Um, tell me, this is what I really want to hear from you. Tell me wine regions, winemakers, wines that are exciting you right now. Yeah. And keep it in the context of the restaurant, but, but go beyond. You yeah. know, maybe there are personal things. Yeah. There are things that interest you that you know may not work with the restaurant, but yeah. you know, you're very compelled to try them or drink them or own um, them. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we don't work with Spanish wines. We don't work with Portuguese wines. I think those are two um, areas that I personally don't know enough about because I haven't spent much of my career focusing on. Um, but it seems like, Everything that I try and with reps that I taste, you know, wines that are related, they sometimes have a couple things, you know, from those regions. Um, I agree. And I end up tasting them and I'm like, oh, I wish I could buy this. <laughs> like, right. I wish it kind of fit into the, the program. And I would love to deep dive um, and really so get into So in a that. few minutes when we talk about the program, yeah. the question's going to be, why aren't you putting those wines in yeah. there? But stay yeah. with my first question. So sure. Spanish and Portuguese wines. I'm yeah. there. We were in Portugal two years ago. I took the whole family. We Amazing. went to Alentejo, Douro. Nice. I mean, spectacular. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. value-driven wines, artisanal, right. you know, passionate people. Right. Um, what else? Um, at... Missy, we're focusing a little bit more on um, just kind of Mediterranean in general, and there's so define at least in the Missy Missy universe. Yeah, what are the Mediterranean wines? Is it like a, yeah, a, a Certico or a Greek? Yeah. What like what wine? So we don't work we don't work with Greek uh, wines, but we it is still focused on Italy. Um, and my opening list at Missy um, 
there's a champagne list. Uh, again, Italy's the, still the focus. There was a small Austrian section. Half the menu is vegetables and, you know, Missy Robin's whole philosophy behind the, the way that the menu is structured is um, the way that vegetables can be, you know, entrees and be the star of the show and really to shed some light on them. And, you know, Austrian wines are such a perfect pairing <laughs> with so, so many of that. When we got into that, we might as well get right into it now. Sure. Missy is a vegetable-centric rest- uh, restaurant compared to the other one. It's a two-section menu, vegetables and pasta. Right. Yeah. So how much collaboration is there with you and Missy Robbins yeah. as far as food and wine? I mean, obviously, you just yeah. answer the question. Yeah. You know, Austrian wines complemented yeah. the heavy. Um, so the skew at Missy is Mediterranean. Um, yeah, so when I just said Austrian, so it's a little, it's, no, 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 it's no, a little but, bit but, of a spread but you, there. you sort of disclaimed why, you know, yeah. there's Austrian wine. Yeah. Um, what else is at Missy? Um, there's a small champagne list. Um, Missy, before we opened the restaurant, was very excited about the idea of, you know, being able to come in, order a great bottle of champagne, um, and have a bowl of pasta and enjoy so that as a pairing. Correct me if I'm wrong on yeah. this. I would say in the last five, 10 years, mm-hmm. Italian restaurants have added champagne lists that yeah. are like through the roof. Yeah. When you look at Marta, Maylino, you know, yeah. some of those people, and then, you know, even other places. Yeah. Is there any champagne at Lilia? Champ- uh, Lilia's wine list is 100% Italian. No champagne. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. I wasn't sure, yeah. you know, so because of that, no <laughs> yes. way. No. Um, Italian sparklers? Yes, absolutely. Lambrusco? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the menu at Lilia. Sure. More Italian traditional? Um, or that's not say, a good description? I don't think I would, I mean, I don't want to speak for Missy, but I wouldn't describe her food as Italian traditional. She loves and is inspired by Italian ingredients, and she has spent, you know, her career really mastering pasta. Um, as a as a category, see um, to me that's traditional, and I've seen yeah. her like in Italy, on Instagram with grandmas. Right. right. Well, you know, is this how you make malfadini? You know, I mean that's <laughs> somewhat traditional. But I guess her take is she takes it from there. I'm thinking traditional, like Brooklyn, like red sauce joint type traditional, like yeah. the things you would come in and see, expect to Good see point. on the menu. Yeah. I wasn't thinking that, but yeah. you know, the pasta is made in the traditional way. There's a creativity, you know, there's a creative aspect to all of them. So the wines with that um, kind of have to have that aspect as well of interest and and story and journey right yeah so do you have a philosophy in selecting wines yeah like is natural wine important is it the thing or because you know like four horsemen frenchette justin and jorge you know these guys are like (laughs) nothing but yeah tell me about your philosophy when you i mean my background and my training was classical um i the first wines that blew me away that I can remember are, you know, old Bordeaux and old Californian reds and, you know, Same the greats of champagnes. And to this day, like I. Burgundy wasn't even on the radar then, right? I mean, it Not was, much. but yeah, yeah. Again, we're in Champagne, Illinois. And it, I was, yeah. you know, at the mercy of the incredible collectors that were sharing right. their cellars with me. Right. Um, so, you know, I don't forget that. And and I we are in Brooklyn after all, and we're in New York period. And there is a huge natural wine movement here that 
you can't and you shouldn't ignore because there are so many fantastic, you know, aspects about it. Um, so I don't know. I, I would ca- characterize my perspective as a, a marriage of the two. Right. Do you small producers? Yes. You know, yeah. that that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, you don't need the big names. You need no. the best names. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I won't even say it. There are certain Napa wines that are yeah. so famous. Yeah. And they're not necessarily the best. Yeah. You know, yeah. so having the biggest, best wines is not, you know, usually the most interesting. Yeah. Which list is larger as far as selection wise? Uh, Lilia's is slightly larger, but okay. they're both very under 100 wines. So right. they're very small lists. That- Do you think it's harder to curate a tight list? than managing a bigger list. I ask this to people all the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're, they're different jobs, really. Um, with small lists, there's a lot of trimming. Um, there's only room for so much. And you go through a different process of elimination to determine whether or not you want to put something on the list. Um, so process of elimination can also involve seasonality, right? Yep. Like, yep. you know, you get rid of certain wines you yep. had. Um do you ever get into that funk where there's just stuff you want to put on? That's right. Yeah. But you just don't have the room. That's, or... You know, I'm lucky that I have two wine lists <laughs> yeah, at really. my disposal. And, if I and really... to break away from the categorization of one. Yes. You, know, you, you could. Exactly. Yeah. But <laughs> even with the two wine lists, you're talking about two pretty tight lists. Yes. Yeah. You know, so it's yeah. not like you're at like Burns Steakhouse in Tampa or something no. where you have nine million bottles or something. No. Um, so one of the interesting things I noticed, and we talked about this off air before, mm-hmm. um, you know, when a lot of people think of Italian wines, they think of like the big Tuscans, super Tuscans, mm-hmm. you know, they think of the big Barolos and all of that. You have some of that, but that's not what, you know, the Italian wine list is about there. Yeah. Why? Is it cost? Is it better compatibility with the food? Is it? I It's based on the fact that i mean again my first harvest was in italy my first kind of you know introduction to the wine world was baccaro was an italian restaurant and the list was also predominantly italian at the time and that's where i kind of grew up um and i think that the when i am training staff now at lilia and missy um who maybe come in that are more familiar with um, the international varieties. Yeah, but like French the Wall or, Street guys come in and go, 97 Celaya. I mean, they do. And I, it's a conversation and it's difficult and we could technically just give everybody what they want, but I frankly don't have room for it all and I don't have the room in the budget either. Are most people amenable to like, listen, we don't have that, but yeah, try this, try that's, that. That's my job and that's my son's job to to right. you know, right. make those tangential tangential cells and get people excited about things that they've never had before. But Italian wine is so again like wh- I think the most challenging thing, but also the most most exciting thing about Italian wine is how many indigenous varieties there are to mm. all the regions. Great and country it's endless. For, it is endless. It's endless exploration, and it you know we don't do ourselves a favor when we pigeonhole you know into Piedmont or into. Tuscany or anywhere else. Good for you. Yeah. Um, do you, I, I, this is a sort of a redundant question, but things start changing for the fall. 
you'll start knocking some stuff out and putting stuff on. Yeah. Will I the mean, menu change? I mean, will it become a little heartier? The menu is um, at both restaurants are, are pretty seasonal. So as things come and go, especially right. with the vegetable world, um, um, I don't, you know, when I first started at Lilia, I feel like people were, were crushing. I think we were going through like 15 cases of rosé on the patio. Um, and I, that's changed. Um, people don't drink like that at Lilia and Missy anymore. And there's people, you know, and you're going to ask me this later, but you know, what's my favorite wine and like what, what don't tell me, <laughs> but there's a, something for every moment. And I know you like Barolo. It's a, it's a cop out, but yeah. You know? Um, yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah. Um, all right. I was going to ask you this before. Um, my listeners always love to get, you know, intel from guys like you. Where are the great value wines? Italy certainly offers so many so wines. Many you know, I, I yeah. mean, for this conversation, we don't even have to, you know, leave Italy. You could do Lambrusco with a pizza. Yeah. Vermentino. You yeah. Know, tell me a couple of things that, you know, are worth. Um, Liguria is always a great region to go to. Um, the whites are wonderful. Um, what reds, grape are they using? Um, Vermentino, Pigato. Okay. Um, you know. I agree with that. And Rosese as a, as a red grape is, I love. Um, it kind of has a, it's light. It's, there's a floral quality to it. There's some freshness. There's a little bit of acidity. It's not over the top. It pairs great with so many things. Yeah. Um, and Sicily, everyone loves to talk about. I was just going to ask, <laughs> you know, about volcanic wines. Do yeah. you like those wines? Yeah, absolutely. What yeah. about... Even though Corsica is French, yeah, does that leave that off the list or it doesn't at all? If it's on the list at Missy or like Abatucci or any of those guys that are making Canarelli, good Corsica, Abatucci, all Italian names, by the way. Okay, um, with right. Sanchez, well, yeah, yeah, kind of obvious. <laughs> um, so those are some good ones. Yeah. Um, you know, in the end, I'm going to post uh, your wine list and what we drank and any other records that you made. Sure. Um, I want to do the wine list in a couple of minutes, but are you still studying for certification? Um, it's kind of been put on the back burner, um, to be honest, with, with kind of restaurant operations. So I get that. Mm -hmm. Does something in your head say, okay, when the time comes, we'll get back into it? Or you're yeah, not even thinking it. I'm, so you would like to. Yeah, I'm okay. always down for continued learning. Now, we've discussed this vigorously on the Grape Nation, and that is everything that's happened with the Court of Master Sommeliers. I mean, I've had like first, you know, Jane Lopes, people like that. Yeah. Um, do you still want to pursue your... Master Sommelier? I actually haven't been pursuing that for quite a while. And Would I've been you working on my diploma with WSCT actually? Okay. Yeah. But do you feel like you'd have to do the other one too, or not necessarily? No. Um, I I was kind of taking both exams when I first started out because I wasn't quite sure what what path I wanted to go down, and I decided pretty early that I wanted to go down the the Wine Affairs Education Trust path. And, Good for you. Um, I. The formatting of information makes more sense to me. The formatting of testing makes more sense to me. Um, so, it just fit me better. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the sway of, you know, a master sommelier, whatever, early on in the decision-making process, it's like, this is the better path for me. 
you know, I mean, it's, may, it's, this may be a bigger deal, but yeah. doesn't work for you. You know, and then they yeah. go through all the scandal. So yeah, uh, I mean, it's certainly glamorous, and there, there's a. Uh, do you think it's necessary now, career-wise? No. You know, to have that pin? No, no. Okay. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we, we talked a lot about this early on. A lot of my guests have become winemakers. Mm-hmm. You know, my favorite's Raj Parr. Mm-hmm. Um, he just packed everything in and he's literally walking around a farm. They've become importers, distributors. Um, they wanted to get off the floor. You've worked um, harvest and your eyes lit up. Yeah. Um, is that an aspiration down the road or you don't think about that? Um, you know, that's... That's why I didn't come back, almost didn't come back the first time around, because I was like, I, this is the life that I want. Um, and I realized that I was really young and needed to learn more things and explore more things and kind of hit the ground running and do the, put in the time, put in the work. Um, I think maybe down the road. If and when. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love restaurants and I don't. Yeah. So I'm you're not, not at the point, them. you know, 50, 60 hours a week, all that. And you've endured COVID. So if you can get back on your feet, you still have juice in you to, you know, want I to do that. I do still have yeah. juice, yes. So that, that's open-ended. That's nice. Yeah. All right. One last thing. I don't get this. I don't get why you're not on social media. <laughs> Just give me a short answer. Um, so I'm pretty young. Uh, I was part of the the kind of when Facebook first became pretty widespread in, in high school. Um and everyone was on Facebook. And that, at that point, I had Facebook as well. And I realized then that I didn't want to know that much about other people's lives. I wanted to know... There's, there's kind of an a intrusion, not even in my own life, but I don't... It feels like I'm, you know, spying or something. And it feels like I'm, you know, comparing myself to a, just a picture of someone, like a snapshot of some, literally of someone's life that doesn't provide any kind of context or any kind of conversation. And I, that's not what I'm interested in. So that, <laughs> that's very cool and very amazing and kind of the opposite. I mean, because yeah. obviously my friends, my family, your friends, they're sort of addicted to social media. Yeah. I mean, people just stare at their phones all day. Yeah. You know, most of that is like Instagram and Facebook. I mean, I know we're all texting and checking in and mm-hmm. business and all of that, but, um, and there's no compulsion. You're at peace. I, and you know, I totally see the business benefits of, of being out there because it is such a huge platform that so many well, people Well, I found you of. without social media. You did. You did. You, you know, were, it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see it. I was surprised, but yeah. <laughs> I was happy. Yeah. Then when I came across you and started figuring out who is she, it was like anonymous for a while, you know, <laughs> and I had to kind of dig deep and all. And the more that happened, the more I liked it. So, you know, I got intrigued. <laughs> okay. um, so that's where you're at with social media. That's fine. Yeah. All right. A couple things we want to do before we wrap up. We want to do our wine list. I'm going to ask you five questions. We ask the same five questions to everyone. Be spontaneous. Don't okay. dwell on them. Give all me right. good choices. Um, people literally email me, text me, what was the name of that wine or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, there's no better people to recommend, recommend wines than you and, you know, guys like, you know, all right. So what are you drinking now? 
Not well, it could be for work and personal, yeah. you know, seasons are changing. What's in the fridge? What's on the bar that maybe is not on the program yet? Yeah. You know, what give me some drinking now things. Um there so I just put on or it's been on the Missy list for a second, but uh Malvasia from um Croatia from Klai is the producer. Spell um C A or sorry, C L A I. Klai. Klai, yeah. Um it's a you know, Malvasia is pretty aromatic. It's is that the Croatia part that's close to Italy? Um, not super close, okay. but yeah, we're we're it's salty. It's got like that that Malvasia perfume going on. It's kind of checks all the boxes. It's absolutely delicious. Cly, yeah. yeah. give me something else. Um, let's see, Bruno. If we're talking about um, Liguria, just for a specific example, um, Bruno is one of my favorite producers. B R U uh, N A. Um, Bruna. Bruna, yeah. Um, their pigatos are wonderful. Their Vermentino um, nice. is is a pretty new project for them, and it is wonderful. Um, definitely a leaner style. It's not it's not very ripe. It doesn't have mm. all that fruit that Vermentino sometimes can have, um, but all that minerality and freshness there. All right, answer this question for me. Yeah. Forget my listeners. Give me, I love Lambrusco. Yeah. I love turning people onto it with pizza and all that. Mm-hmm. Give me a Lambrusco that is good quality, reasonable, mm-hmm. and available. Yeah. Um, I just tasted through the Terra Vive lineup yesterday. Terra, T-E-R-R-A? T-E-R-R-E-V-I-V-E. Okay. Um, the 2020s just landed. They are awesome. And um, you think like the cool wine shops, they'll be at some yes. of them? Okay. Um, Rosenthal's the distributor. Okay. So yeah. they're, they're pretty wired in. Yeah. All right. Good job there. Favorite wine and food pairing. You got one? Obviously you don't eat it every night, every month, but what's that, you know, pairing? Oh my gosh. Um, I will drink champagne with anything. Okay. <laughs> don't say oysters. You're not allowed to. No, just anything. So champagne, does it lean towards like fried foods or potato? You know, is there something... Think for a second. We got champagne. <laughs> we got cha- what's that? Okay, now I'm thinking, and I'm there with a bowl of potato chips. Love it with it. What do you? Can you think of something? Oh, I'll take champagne and anything as an answer. Yeah, All I right. mean champagne and eggs for brunch. Like I anything like caviar that. Caviar on yeah. it. Or something. Not um, even just eggs. That's okay. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. I actually at New Year's Day I would make scrambled eggs and mm-hmm. pour the leftover champagne. Instead of like no oh, nice. water, yeah. yeah, gave it a little fluffiness. Yeah. Um, all right. Third question. You should be able to answer this, although you know because of COVID, and I know you're busy. Yeah. Favorite wine restaurant and or bar, like people that are like you're more of a restaurant with a great wine program. Mm-hmm. The vibe is great. The people are smart. Yeah. Give me places that you go to or know of where the list is great. It's yeah. well thought out. The people that work there. Yeah. Like Four Horsemen. I was going to say Four Horsemen. That checks the box. <laughs> so like that, yeah. you know, go give me something else. Um, I mean, f- from my perspective, it's about discovery, right? So if I, if I go somewhere, I want to be able to trust the team and their – it's a relationship that develops and that's kind of an old school So who do you thing. think of, you know, when you – I don't – I honestly don't go out that much. And when I do, I want to go to Four Horsemen. Okay. Like truly. They, so I think they're put- wonderful. We're going to put Four Horsemen as the answer. Yeah. All right. Fourth question. Favorite all-time wine? The question was initially structured 
like when I had Aldo Salmon here, like what was the rarest, most expensive wine? Yeah. The question has so morphed away from that. Yeah. And to what's that wine that was important to you? Yeah. It could have been something at Baccaro or whatever. Yeah. Tell me a favorite all-time wine that, you know, significant, important, had an impact. So, yeah, the, the wines that started my career, which are kind of back to your Aldo's home type question. Um, because but no, was, that's okay, because that's what was there. Yeah. You know, it was the Bordeaux and the Cali Caps. Yeah. But anything, can you remember anything it specific? Was, you know, that late. So yeah. two wines that are a little bit in, in a, a different categories. Um, Dard and Rebo, Hermitage. Um, Big fan. The Hermitage Blanc. Uh, it was a 2010. Blanc. It was a 2010 vintage. Um, I think I had worked in the restaurant for six months. I tasted it and it was like lights out. It was incredible. Um, and then 75 Petrus. <laughs> Is 75 a great year for Petrus or not necessarily? Yeah. Was for it? For Right Bank, yeah. I know like 61, 82, but 75 is right in there. For, for Right Bank, Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. Jesus. So the Darden Rebo is not that crazy expensive. I mean, it's uh, no. a pretty good value wine. And then you jump right to Petrus. So you balance the uh, seesaw. I try. Good for you. I try. All right, last question, and you definitely should be able to answer this. Um, recommend to me best wine around 15 20 22 bucks retail. Okay. Uh, give me a red, give me a white. You can go category, like I always think Muscadet is a great value. Lambrusco is a cool value. But give me, try to... Give me some makers and wines. Yeah. Think about that price range. Okay. I mean, that's that's kind of... You mentioned a bunch of them. Right. You know, so going back is fine. Um, I think uh, what I'm pouring in that price range would be kind of a glass pour type wine. Yeah. Um, and what I'm pouring right now that is like completely over delivers is the um, La Piane Majorina. So um, wait, the maker's La Piane? L-E... Um, P-I-A-N-E. And what is it? Um, so it's, they're in Piedmont, um, but it's Alto Piemonte, so the, the north. Hot um, region. Their kind of flagship wine is the Boca, but the Majorina is one of their more entry-level wines. It's a Nebbiolo blend with, you know, Vespolina. And you think if we found a shop around here, it'd it be in happen. the 20s? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So... That's the red, red, right? Mm-hmm. Give me a white like that. That's a good one. I mean, I'm sure nobody. Yeah. Um, Ingrid Grois, um, Gruner Veltliner. Um, G-R-E-I-S-S? G-R-O-I-S-S. Yeah. From Vine Vertal. Um, Not the, even close. The Gruners are delicious. Delicious, delicious. Um, that's on the list, too. Mm-hmm. When, at Missy. At Missy. Because yeah. when you're talking about Austria mm-hmm. and uh, whatever. Yeah. All right. Those are good ones. Like I said, I'm going to post those. Sure. Because you taste a lot of wines to put them on your list. And I think that's what people are looking for. Yeah. All right. When we can, and certainly we can, we end the show with a segment called the Weekly Wine Sip. Every week we taste a different wine on air. I asked you if you would bring a wine in. And the criteria was accessible, mm-hmm. reasonable, and cool. Yeah. And you brought in a wine from the Cortona region of Italy. Italy. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to throw it to you. Sure. Talk to me vintage, the maker, the grape. Then we're going to taste and evaluate. Hand me that bottle because sure. I'm running out. Yes. 
Um, so this is Stefano Amarigi. Um, this is a Pecorino. Uh, Amarigi. A-M-E-R-G-H-I? Something like that? A-M-E-R-I-G-H-I. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Cortona is famous for um, Syrah in Tuscany. Uh, his winery is, is in Cortona, but this is a really special project um, that is uh, Pecorino from the Sibyllini Mountains, um, which is the birthplace of Pecorino, the grape. Um, this bottle is probably, you know, 70, 70 bucks on a wine list. Um, so totally reasonable. Um, it's so not to give secrets away retail, sure. it would be in the thirties or high twenties. Um, I think, yeah, probably thirties. Yeah. Which is for this interesting of a wine yeah, and how well it's made. That's a yeah. good price point. Um, so it's, over a hundred year old um, Pecorino vines. Wow. Um, it's Stefano's uh, collaboration with the owner of this particular site, uh, who actually passed away in the earthquakes um, oh. in 2016. But um, it's such a small production, and it's his kind of attempt or experiment to make a wine in a little grotto right by the vineyard that's basically a cave, no electricity, no running water. Ah. Um, so Great you asked start. me when, you know, I first opened it, is it a skin contact wine? It's a wine made with zero technology. And that's kind of what that's more about. Um, so it's foot stomped. Um, and then it's, um, it goes through fermentation all the way dry with the skins and the seeds and all that. Uh, and then it um, gets racked off, put into glass demijohns and then bottled in the spring. And then it's all about bottle aging. So this is, it's... In, this is a 15, right? Yeah, and I think in 20, Is it a benefit to be sitting here drinking a 15 versus this is incredible. Like, yeah. like a, a 19 or a 20? You just, just to get, give you an idea, in 2017, he made 53 bottles of this. <laughs> Jesus so Christ. So it's a tiny, tiny production, right. and it's really just a passion project for him. So this is a special treat for me, and I yeah. thank you for that. So let's just, let's viscerally let's talk about it color is sort of a deep yellow almost not orange but mm -hmm. moving there a little yeah. cloudy yep right which is after you just explain how yeah. he does it um so that's the color here's where i need you talk to me about the nose mm -hmm. pecorino is not a fruity grape um you're not going to get those aromatics jumping out at you and no. to me it's more there's like a wooliness there's a savory quality um Savory, but not too savory. Not too, yeah. There's, but definitely. There's, yeah. Um, Pecorino, I think the, the origins of the grape are cloudy, but there is connection with the right. sheep herders in the mountain, and therefore we're talking about Pecorino cheese as well. There is a kind of lactic-like cheesiness um, to this wine, too. Dumb question. Yeah. <laughs> is the cheese made in that area, or? Um, I mean, the, the sheep graze that area and all the pecorinos you know you're right yeah okay. yeah yeah um let's go mouthfeel sure so it it looks like a pretty you know viscous wine mm -hmm. you throw it over to the tongue mm -hmm. down the throat mm -hmm. there's definitely some there's texture texture and some acidity yeah like it seems like it'd be a great food wine. Yes. Um, it, I would say medium plus, you know, it's not a thin wine. No. It's not a bulky wine in mm -mm. your mouth or whatever. It's got a nice feel. It's now, got some broad shoulders on it, but but that kind of acidity definitely freshens it up a little bit. All right. Now let's go palate. I want you to tell me, do the 
descriptors on the palate match the nose? Absolutely. What are they? Um, Savory. Again, we're talking about that like savory herbs, lactic kind of cheesy richness. There is an herbaceousness to it. Um, there's a little, there's a little bit of apple. There's a little bit of fruit there, but it's not, it's not driven by that. A little more sour apple than. There's a little bit of saltiness too. Oh this yeah, wine that I get. Yeah, yeah, but you know, effective. Mm -hmm. Not the funny thing is when I first smelled it and tasted. I'm like, this is like Pecorino cheese. And I was too embarrassed. <laughs> you know, everyone expect, you know, more yeah. like me to say, oh, Pecorino, Pecorino. Right. But it's there. It I mean, there's there. that lactic thing yeah. and all that, which is For crazy. Sure. Yeah. Um, what ideal foods would you pair with this? I mean, this is this is a wine that you hang out with throughout the entirety of a meal. It's not a, it's not a wine that you start with. It takes right. some time to open up. It's not up. for the veal chop. It's like open it up and just drink it with whatever you're eating type thing. You're you're starting with it. You're hanging out with it. It's going to continue to develop. It's been open an hour now before we even really got to the tasting portion. Yes. And it's changed a lot. Yeah, which is kind of neat. Yeah, um, for sure. So not an expensive wine, mm -hmm. hard to get. Yes. Um, Sorry. Why did you? No, that's okay. <laughs> There's a story, which yeah. is fine. Yeah. Why did you pick this wine? just an inner love for it it's unique i think this kind of passion project is is a good example of what i look for 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 the two wine lists um obviously i'm not the wine list is not made up of you know 53 bottle production type wines what, this is not sustainable what, are, what kind of um bottlings and other vintages um, what do you mean? Like, like quantities? Or yeah, like, quantity, I meant. Uh, sometimes it's over 100. <laughs> but it's super tiny. Yeah, super tiny. Um, it's like 8, 10, 12 cases. Yes. That's crazy. And I think New York, in this vintage for the 2015 release, got 24 bottles. Well, thanks for bringing it in. Yeah. Um, tick the chart off. It's a 2015. Mm -hmm. 2015 uh, Pecorino um, from Amarigi. Noe Vino Bianco. Yep. Okay. No way is the name of the wine. Right. No is our And we love it. And yeah. too bad you ain't getting it. Um, <laughs> all right. Eliza, we got to wrap up the show. I told you now it would go pretty quickly. Um, I could sit here and still cover a lot of other things. Um, let me do a quick wrap up. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation.com. Subscribe to The Grape Nation on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or, you know, nowadays, wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation, on Instagram, we're at SBenRuby, on Twitter, we're at BenRuby, but we use the hashtag The Grape Nation for both. So you can get to the show in any one of those um, ways. We're trying to build a little community on... Um, um, what's it called? Clubhouse. So follow us there at Ben Ruby. Although I don't know what's going to be with that. As I mentioned, we'll post Eliza's wine list, all her great answers. I will give you the specifics on the weekly wine sip. If there are other wines, you know, that made sense, you know, to put up, we will do those. Um, one of the questions that I ask my guests at the end of every show is, Eliza, where can we find you on social media? <laughs> And the answer is nowhere, which is fine. And she explained why. But if you want more information on Lilia, it's at Lilia New York, 
right? Um, at Lilia New York, at Missy New York. At Missy New York. Um, wow. And if you go on the site, you could see Eliza's, you know, wine list or, you know, a fairly good offering of all of that. Yeah. And certainly to uh, the menu and everything. Um, Eliza, I want to thank you again for being our first guest back in the studio. Thank you for having um, me. You're doing some great stuff out there. It's great to hear, you know, how you got here and what's going on. Um, thanks to our engineer, Armin, who's back in the saddle in the studio. Thank you to everyone at Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Great Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening. 